In Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, he answers an objection to his work for racial equality. While he urged people to obey the Supreme Court decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in public schools, he and his supporters consciously broke laws. He writes in his letter, one may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate for disobeying for obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. End quote. He continues, Now what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law or natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. End quote. This is a powerful call for all of us to uphold justice in law. And how did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. end up quoting St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas by name? A little-known fact is that the articulation of just in unjust laws and natural law was a fruit of conversation with the Jesuits that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was imprisoned with, who were his supporters and fighting for the same cause. Finally, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gives another explanation of an unjust law. A law is unjust if it is inflicted on a minority that, as a result of being denied the right to vote, had no part in enacting or devising the law. Those who are unborn are in this minority, unable to vote for their very lives. Who will be their advocate? We know that Christ's personhood, for example, was manifest early when Mary visits Elizabeth just after she conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Lord's presence heals John the Baptist of original sin. Scripture tells us, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Every life has incalculable meaning. Here's an analogy. At the consecration, if the priest says the words over bread and wine, whether he is in mortal sin or not, whether he is a good priest or a bad priest, whether he says the words in a church or in the most profane place you can possibly imagine, God always comes down. Every particle of host, no matter how large or small, has the full and true presence of God. 
That is why we treat him with such care. So too with God, the Father, giving a soul to every newly conceived human being. The body comes from the parents. It is God who instills the soul. Whenever life is created, wherever, however, whether the parents are in a state of grace or not, whether they are good parents or struggling, whether in the bridal chamber or a sordid place, God always places a human soul. Every time. He does not say, you are too poor, or you will suffer too much, or you are not desired, or you will amount to nothing in the eyes of the world, or you are too physically or mentally handicapped. No. He says, in my eyes, you are worth everything. He says, I will it, and gives it a human soul. Who are we to say that life does not have value? Just as the Eucharist is always good, so is the value of every human life. Again, if that were the only soul in the universe, Jesus would still die on a cross and pour all of his blood out in death to save that one soul. Who are we to say that they do not deserve life, that their life is not worth living? Does the value of Christ's blood not matter? Is the infinite value of Christ's blood poured out for that soul not worth anything? And again, do you not believe what the church teaches, that every human being is given the necessary grace to reach heaven? God desires all souls to be with him in heaven. Who are we to interfere with his plan? Are we not called to manifest God's mercy? In the case of those who have participated in abortion, do we provide the help and mercy they need, our love to remind them that they are loved, that God loves them deeply? Being pro-life is not about politics or merely how laws work or how we vote. It is a way of life, helping in crisis pregnancy, offering alternatives, our love and care for the sick and elderly, helping minorities and immigrants, our support for women's shelters. But even more than this, it is how we live every day. Do we measure our worth or others' worth by success, intelligence, money, health, or power? If we do, we are playing into the hands of thinking that life only has value with these things. If we base our dignity on GPA, intelligence, beauty, popularity, athletic performance, honors, the college we go to, it makes it almost impossible to advocate for those who have life but are not measured by those standards. We must teach our children to be pro-life by showing them it is not about what they do but who they are as sons and daughters of God. This is the key to solving the problems facing our world of division, violence, and evil. This is the conversion that each of us must undergo constantly, resisting the forces opposed to life. When we hear in our readings that Nineveh converted at Job's proclamation, we can see this conversion in their lives, not just about the love of God, but in how the neighbor is treated, how we treat one another. When we hear the words repent and believe in the gospel, it's a compelling call for all of us to look interiorly and to see each and every moment where we can grow in living out this gospel and conversion. 
It's a call for all of us to evaluate our entire life and the way we interact with others so that we can give the dignity that every single individual person is owed. Many solutions have been posed in this past year for trying to solve violence and injustice, but at the end of the day, it's personal conversion. It's living out the things of the gospel that allows us to be capable of ending whatever injustice or violence may exist in the world. It's a call to us to live as Christians. May we continue Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s cause to uphold the dignity of the person and uphold just laws, yet work to overturn unjust laws. May we uphold the value of every life given by God who instilled the soul, poured out his blood, and calls us to a life of grace and eternal life in heaven. And may we instill this value of life in one another in how we live every day, judging not by what we do, but who we are. Everything is connected. Finally, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in his letter, we are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.